All right, Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10 is where we will be this morning. If you want to go ahead and open up and turn there. And when it comes to things that I'm most grateful for, one of the things that I am most grateful for is simply the word of God. The word of God, the fact that Sure, life can be complicated and life is often challenging. We live in a sinful fallen world. We deal with our own sin issues. Um, There's so many complications, but God never leaves us in the dark. God, um, he, he shows us what he expects from us. And he shows us how we are to live in the midst of the complications, right? Like you look at a lot of pagan religions or just religions throughout the course of human history and people are always trying to figure out God. They're trying to read the circumstances and wonder, okay, is God trying to tell us something or what does God want from us? Let us try this and let us try that. How do we appease God? And I'm so grateful that our true God does not do that. Our true God speaks to us clearly through his word and it starts even in our salvation, the gospel. Uh, the, that, that we sin and we willfully choose to rebel against God, yet God doesn't leave us wondering how can we be reconciled? How can we be made right with him? He gives us the gospel which clearly lays out for us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life we could not live and to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that through faith, his perfect life is credited to us. Our sinful life is credited to him and the price for that was paid on the cross. We don't have to wander around, run around like so many throughout history trying to figure out how to be made right with God because he clearly gives us the gospel through his word. But he doesn't just stop with reconciliation. He, start, or he starts there, but he continues as we live this life to guide us and to show us how he wants us to live, how we can know him better, and then how we should conduct our day-to-day lives. As we've been going through Proverbs and as you continue to go through Proverbs, you see that God addresses every area of life. There's no area where he leaves you wondering How does God want us to live? If it's our families, God shows us how to live. In church, God shows us how to live. In work, God shows us how to live. Any sphere of life you can think of, the Proverbs and the word of God speak to us. Here is how the creator of this universe, the one who created and governs all things, here is how he wants us to conduct ourselves. The Proverbs give us the wisdom for day-to-day living. And I am so grateful for that. And the first two weeks, you know, one of my favorite things on Monday, I'm usually during the equip hour over with the youth group. So one of my favorite things on Monday is to go listen to the equip hour. Unfortunately, the thing that's most disappointing when I teach is now I have nothing to go listen to tomorrow. I have to find something else. But... Um, I, I love listening to the equip hour and um, I, I've loved the past two weeks just getting into the Proverbs, seeing how it's all about wisdom for the details of life. Uh, ben let us off two weeks ago and, and just really did a great job of laying out for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live wisely. 
God loves us and he wants what's best for us. And as we see this morning, wise living leads to a healthy, secure life. Unwise, sinful living is destructive. Sin is destructive. It brings death. It brings just all sorts of troubles into our life. So sinful living is unwise living. Even more importantly, a wise life is about glorifying God. The one who purchased us through the death of Christ on the cross, the one that we belong to, we are called to now live lives that glorify God. Wise living glorifies God. Unwise sinful living does not glorify God. As representatives of the Father in this world, we are to live lives of wisdom that set us apart from the rest of the world. When the rest of the world stumbles around in darkness, as First John kind of paints the picture, they're, they're stumbling around in darkness, they're so blind that they don't even know what's causing them to stumble, that's a life lacking wisdom. As children of God, we should live as children of the light. And, and Ben rightly pointed out for us in week one that the starting point for all of this is the gospel. Apart from salvation in Christ, it's impossible to live a life of wisdom. And Dr. Morris last week carried that theme on for us as we continued in Proverbs, telling us that godly, wise living is ultimately about trusting God. It's about faith in God, not just for our salvation, but ongoing trust in God to continue living in his wisdom for our day-to-day lives. The world, if we live according to God's standards and rules, the world's often gonna call us crazy, right? So who do you trust? Do you trust the world or do you trust God? Sometimes even our own thought process is gonna say, hey, this is the right way to go. But then God's word is gonna tell us differently, like no, you might think that's the way to go, but this is actually the way to go. Who are you gonna trust? Are you gonna lean on your own understanding or are you gonna trust God? This week as we hop into Proverbs chapter 10, there's a bit of a shift. Um, the, The first two weeks we looked at some foundational principles to wisdom and here in chapter 10, we, and I can't say this word so I tried to write it out in a way I could say it and practice it, aphorisms. This week we're, we're getting to a section of Proverbs where it begins to be a collection of the wise sayings, the aphorisms of Solomon. And, and that is simply observations that contain a general truth about life in our temporal world. It's really just a collection of wise sayings. And I had a hard time figuring out, okay, what do we do? I don't think we can go through all of Proverbs 10 and talk about it all in detail. But then when you say, okay, well, let's just focus on a part, you think, well, which part to focus on? And I don't know, I couldn't come up with a good answer. So instead, what I did, I stepped back and I said, okay, let's just look at a sampling a sampling of the wisdom that God has to offer us in Proverbs chapter 10. I have four principles that um, I I want us to really focus and take away. But like just as with any sampler, this is just a starter, right? My prayer for all of us is that the Proverbs 
would be a day-to-day part of our lives. Like every day we would spend time soaking in the Proverbs. I know people who look at it and say, okay, there's 31 Proverbs, half the months roughly have 31 days in them. And so I'm gonna just do a proverb a day. Like today's the 21st, I'm gonna read Proverbs 21 today. I think that's a great approach. For me personally, I read three verses of Proverbs every day that I just try to kind of focus on and meditate on. I don't know why I chose three. It just seemed like a good amount to me. But here's the principle. The wisdom of God, the Proverbs, this should be a part of every day of your life. Every day of your life. And so what I want us to do this morning is just look at a few principles from Proverbs chapter 10. And the theme, wise living is living obediently to God which that shouldn't be a surprise to you. Go back to the the first week in Proverbs where Ben told us that that's the fear of the Lord. The, The wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord is living obediently to the Lord. That's why repeatedly throughout Proverbs and in Proverbs chapter 10, this is called righteous living. I think when we think of wisdom oftentimes, we consider wise advice or wise counsel to be maybe a suggestion, you know? You think about your diet. Everybody's got different wisdom on diet. Some people are like, yo, you you eat only vegetables. Other people are, you eat only meat. And I just take whichever one sounds more appealing to me, you know? Wisdom in your financial planning or your career. Sometimes people take these things as suggestions, but when it comes to the wisdom we find in Proverbs, these are things that are not open up for debate. They're not suggestions. These are about obedience and righteousness. Righteous living is wise living. Sinful living is unwise living. So let's start. The first principle I want us to see from Proverbs chapter 10 is the righteous glorify God in their work. And I love this. I love that the Bible speaks so much about work and how we work. And I love it because work is such a big part of life and it's such a demanding part of life, right? I mean, it's it's something that can consume so many uh, of your hours and so much resource in your life. And so I love that God has so much to say about how we work as people. Let's just look at Proverbs chapter 10, verses two to five. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. These verses demonstrate for us that security and well-being, God's desire for us in a life of righteousness is to, is to go about our work with faithfulness and diligence. God provides for us through faithful, diligent work. 
Now, don't miss that first part. God provides for us, right? It is absolutely God who is the source of everything, even your capability and the talents with which you go to work, the opportunities with which you go to work. All of that comes from God. God is ultimately our source and our provider. We never want to lose sight of that in any way, but there's a general order to creation, And part of that general order to creation is that God provides for us typically through hard, diligent work. He can provide for us through any number of ways, right? Like uh, he can provide for us through the generosity of others, maybe through an inheritance. I have this Aunt Carol who every Christmas puts a lottery ticket in my stocking. You know, maybe one day God will provide for me through Aunt Carol's lottery ticket every year. I don't know. I won't complain if that that happens, but so far it's not amounted to anything. Um, But God can provide for us and give us what we need in any way he chooses, but the general way he does that was through hard, diligent work carried out with integrity. Work is a good thing. Work and labor are good things. Is God a worker? I would say absolutely. God is very active. Is God a creator? Yes. God is a hardworking, active creator. Our, our capacity to create and our capacity to work and be creative is part of us being made in the image of God. When did work enter into the picture in the Bible? Genesis chapter one and two. Sin doesn't come in until chapter three. Work made it before sin did. You look at Genesis one and two, when God creates Adam and Eve, their tasks were to subdue and cultivate the earth. And we all feel that satisfaction that comes with hard work, with, with doing something with diligence and seeing the outcome that God provides. And this work takes all shapes and forms, right? Like I have a job that I log log on to every morning and I work however many hours I need to work. My wife doesn't log into anything, like the kids just wake up and there's a lot of work to be done. She works extraordinarily hard. Work takes all sorts of shapes and forms. Uh, There's plenty of ways to volunteer in work, you know? Um, Work has so many different shapes and forms, but God has created us in his image as imitators of him to be diligent, faithful, hard workers who carry these things out with integrity. Now, can work often be frustrating? Can it often be challenging? I feel like it's all the time, (laughs) every single day, oftentimes throughout the day, right? That's where Genesis chapter three comes in. Sin, living in a fallen world, dealing with our own sin and the sin of those around us, oftentimes causes work to be challenging. When Jeff In Genesis chapter three, when sin enters the picture, God cursed the ground and Adam's work of cultivating the ground became toilsome and burdensome. But we don't wanna lose sight of the fact that work in and of itself is a very good thing. And it's not just Proverbs that will continually have much to say about how you go about your work. Go look at the New Testament. It's in most 
of the New Testament letters where the writer of scripture will tell you things about how you should conduct your work in this world. God cares very much about the faithfulness and integrity of how we carry ourselves in this world. Philippians 2, 14 to 15, um, Paul says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the world, um, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in this world. The way we conduct ourselves as we carry out the task that God's given us to do is an incredible opportunity to be salt and light in this world. If you've spent any time in any sort of career field, is it not generally a somewhat negative place? You're dealing with a lot of unhappy people very often. Uh, Complaining and just grumbling fest are somewhat common. What Paul is saying to the Philippians, do your work without grumbling or complaining and you will appear as lights in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. You are going to stand out in your workplace when you do things God's way without grumbling and complaining as opposed to the world. But, but it's not just the Philippians. Again, it's most of the New Testament letters. Ephesians chapter six, five to seven, Paul has a lot to say about how slaves and masters interact with each other. Colossians three twenty three, uh, Paul says, do your work without, without grumbling or complaining, um, but do it as though you're doing it for the Lord. God cares about how we work in righteous Godly living, the wisdom that God calls us to, tells us to do our work with diligence, hard, hard work, faithfulness, and integrity. The second principle I want us to see in Proverbs chapter 10 about uh, the righteous, the righteous treasure truth. The righteous treasure truth. Look at verses 8 to 10 and then verse 14. He says, the wise of heart will receive commands but a babbling fool will be ruined. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. And then in verse 14, wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. You look at verse eight, the wise of heart will receive commands. Verse 14, wise men store up knowledge. The righteous, the wise, they treasure truth. They treasure wisdom. The contrast is given in verse eight between the wise and the unwise, the wise who wants to know the commands, receive the commands versus the babbling fool who will be ruined. The righteous want to know the word of God. When questions in life come up, when there's complications, challenges, the immediate response of wisdom is, what does God say about this? 
how does God want me to respond? I love that book, the book a few months ago, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, where one of the key points he makes towards the beginning is in the midst of difficulty, the question is, how does God want me to live in the midst of this? That's one of the keys to contentment right there. Not being so focused on the circumstances, but how does God want me to live? Think about just Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's what acknowledging God in all your ways is. As you approach circumstances or difficulties, what does God want me to do here? The wise of heart will receive commands. We also look for wisdom in the counsel of others. So to be wise in heart and receiving the commands of God doesn't mean that you never leave the Bible because oftentimes others are gonna help us more clearly see the things that are in the Bible. Wisdom will look for counsel from others. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. But here's the thing when it comes to wisdom. You do seek counsel, you do seek advice, but you're not necessarily going just to get the opinion of another person, but you're going to somebody else to say, hey, share with me your wisdom of what you know about God's word and how it applies. Verse 14, wise men store up knowledge and God's word is the foundational truth from which the wise construct their entire worldview. They want to know more God more deeply and it's from this knowledge of God that everything else gets built. It doesn't mean we don't care about anything else other than what we only find in the Bible because we do still want to learn science, history, philosophy, math, whatever. There's all sorts of knowledge out there for us, but the, the guiding um, principle or the foundation that we build everything else from, our worldview, is from the truth of God. And what's fascinating is how you realize that everything we can go learn about in any field of knowledge all gets influenced and, and filtered through and just shaped by what we know about God. So astronomy gets completely shaped by what we know about God. Finance completely shaped by what we know about God. I love Colossians 2, 3, talking about Jesus Christ. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything ties back to God. And so for the wise, they're constantly seeking knowledge, seeking truth with the Lord is our foundation. Conversely, 2 Timothy 3, 7 says, the unwise, the sinful, they're always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth goes right back to what Ben talked about at the beginning of the Proverbs. Uh, right back to uh, just the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. We want truth. The wise of heart will receive commands. They will store up knowledge even when those commands and the knowledge is not convenient. Even when it sometimes hurts. Even when it sometimes says, hey, you're wrong. You're leaning on your own understanding but you're wrong and you need to change. Proverbs 9, 8 and 9 says, reprove a wise man and he will love you. 
Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. There's a humility that comes with godly wisdom that recognizes I don't know everything. And often I forget what I know. And often I even go wrong and astray of what I know. We all need to be corrected. But this isn't the case for the sinful, for the unwise. They hate the word of God, the truth, and they reject it to their own destruction. Look at what it says in verse eight. A babbling fool will be ruined. Verse 14, with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Again, the babbling fool, that person who just can't stop talking long enough to be instructed. Uh, they don't stop talking for anybody else to ever get a word in. They're unteachable. Oftentimes, they just think they know it all already. What, what could you possibly have to tell me? I already know it all. So they're closed off to further instruction. They don't value the truth. And both verses eight and verse 14 tell us that the future for this person who does not heed instruction, who will not take wisdom, is ruin. Hosea 4.6, God says, my people die for a lack of knowledge. They're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Ignorance has devastating consequences, devastating consequences. And, and with, this is a theme we're gonna see recurring in Proverbs over and over again. To reject wisdom has temporal consequences. And if you continue down that path of rejecting God's truth and wisdom, eternal consequences. That's what we often see with these Proverbs, temporal consequences in the here and now, and then ultimately, apart from repentance, eternal consequences. Just think about the here and now. Think about when you reject the wisdom of God, who created this world? Who created the system that we live in? It was God. Who guides this world? Who is sovereign? It is God. And so when we, re, it's, like, it's like if you had the manual to your car and Toyota says, hey, do this with your car. And you're like, eh, Toyota doesn't know anything. How could they possibly know? They're the ones who made the car. So when you reject the wisdom of God and you're unwilling to listen, you reap the consequences. Think about, again, your spheres of life. I mentioned earlier that uh, Proverbs addresses all the spheres of life. God's word throughout addresses all the spheres of life. Our marriage. We repeatedly reject God's wisdom in the way we live in our marriages. What ultimately happens? Those marriages fail. What about being an employee? You consistently reject God's wisdom in how you are to be an employee. You might not find yourself an employee anymore. As a parent, how you handle your money to reject God's wisdom leads to temporal consequences here and now. God loves us and he's throwing up instructions for us saying, this is how I want you to live because I love you and I want you to do well in this life. I want good things for you. Here's how you should live. And ultimately, here's how you should glorify me and how you live. But again, it has eternal consequences as well. If we continue rejecting the knowledge of God, rejecting his commands, 
if we don't care about what he says and how we're to live, that's, if you go look at 1 John, that's a clear signal that you might not even be in Christ at all. And at that point, to continue to reject the truth of God and ultimately the gospel has eternal consequences as well. I love John 6, 66 and 67 where uh, Jesus, he was teaching very challenging things. So many people said, you know, this is too much. I'm done. We're walking away from this. As a result of this, John 6 says, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love that. The righteous treasure truth because they know it is the source of eternal life, most importantly, but even our good now in the here and now. It is the guide to our day-to-day lives. A third principle I want us to see here. Righteousness is the path to security and well-being. Verse nine, he who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. And this principle is all throughout the Proverbs here, all throughout the scriptures. Um, Truth is not only valued by the wise, but it's just the framework for how they conduct themselves. A life of integrity can stand up to inspection. It can stand up to adversity. A life that's built on lies is just a house of cards. At some point, corruption gets exposed and things fall apart. You might be able to be fake for a long time, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever. At some point, Sin finds you out. That corruption becomes exposed and things fall apart. We have countless examples, right? I mean, just think even in something as petty as athletics. Remember when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, everybody was like, this is amazing. It's just nonstop home runs. And now they're like erased from the record books because it was exposed to just, their, their lack of integrity was exposed. In the financial world or the business world, you know, companies look unstoppable. It's unbelievable. It's like, wow, you've got to invest in this company. And then it turns out it was all a fraud. It was all a scam and it just disappears. Countless, countless examples. It's impossible to keep a lie up. At some point, you will be found out. When you're living in the truth, how much easier is it? There's nothing to keep up. There's nothing to keep track of. There's no lie to keep pushing. You're just living out the truth. It's a safeguard. It ultimately glorifies God. That's always the most important thing. God wants us to be people of the truth. But he teaches us this too in his love because it's a safeguard to our lives and our well-being. Now, one of the challenges with Proverbs is you're gonna read through these things and you're gonna think, well, I can think of a few exceptions. I feel like I can think of a few exceptions. Like this person had incredible integrity in their life. I mean, seemed to kind of run into a lot of hardship, right? 
Or we can all think of the person who is extraordinarily wicked. But things just seem to keep going well. Things just seem to be, uh, uh, keep, keep running for them perfectly. We have to keep the eternal perspective in mind. So, psalm 73 is a great psalm to go read on that exact subject where the psalmist is like, I don't get it. The wicked just seem to keep moving on just fine. And then I see all these righteous who have all these problems. And the psalmist is ultimately brought back to the eternal perspective, the key perspective that, um, that in the world to come, these things will be made right. And again, and I, I promise I practice this, I just can't say, say the word, but it's that word I can't say. These are aphorisms. Proverbs are aphorisms. They are observations that contain the general truth about how God um, has orchestrated life in our temporal world. But these aren't like mathematical laws like gravity. These aren't mathematical formulas where you do this and God promises you, here's the outcome. God is showing us general truths. And sometimes in his providence and in infinite wisdom, does he allow hard things to come into the lives of even the righteous? Absolutely. I mean, Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. Perfect righteousness, perfect righteousness, yet treated horribly, unjustly, murdered at the hands of men. And this was part of God's perfect plan of redemption. There's, there's, in, there's numerous examples. Everybody knows of somebody who was incredibly righteous, yet perhaps their life was brought to a quick and early end. People who are genuinely walking in integrity and then difficult things happen. So, so what do we say to that? Well, here's what I'd say. Number one, in God's providence, yes. He does sometimes allow bad things to happen to people and I don't have the answer for you always as to why. Look at Job. Job's the greatest example. Job spent a lot of time wondering why, did he not? And then he even had friends who came along, all trying to figure out why, why, why. And does Job ever get an explanation for why? He doesn't. Instead, what happens, even better, even better than an explanation for why, God is so gracious and loving to Job that God steps in and gives Job a better picture of who he is, of his power, his wisdom, his holiness and righteousness. And Job, he steps back after that and says, I don't need an answer anymore. In fact, I repent in dust and ashes. You're God, you are holy and I submit to you. He didn't need an answer anymore. Ultimately, God's doing things that are far beyond anything we're smart enough to understand. So like Christmas Day, my wife got ran over by a random six-year-old on a sled and uh, her arm was pretty badly dislocated. And I was just rehearsing all the ways, it was an hour-long ambulance ride. So I was rehearsing, following the ambulance, just thinking through, okay, there's so many ways God is making this go perfect. Like, and I could give you very many specific examples from there. Like for one, they're like, hey, well, you gotta go to Albuquerque. We need a orthopedic specialist and there's not one here. 20 minutes later, an orthopedic specialist walks in that wasn't supposed to be there. It's like, all right, but there's, I got numerous examples like that, all right? 
But the question somebody might ask me is, well, why did, if God's gonna make all these things line up perfectly for you, why even let her get ran over by a random six-year-old in a sled to start with? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to answer that question for you. But here's what I do know. God is infinitely faithful. This is the second point I was gonna make. Infinitely faithful, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, perfect in all these ways. Why does he allow some of these things to happen that seem to go even contradictory to what these general truths he's given us in Proverbs? I don't know. But Romans 8.28, I know is always true, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And that ultimate good is our sanctification in his glory. The end of Romans Romans 8 remains true. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And it's understandable. So you think about these bad things, you think, okay, well, even if I live the way God wants me to live, you're still telling me there's potentially bad things that could come into my life. Yes, that is true. But here's something else I promise you. You remain faithful to God and whatever challenges he allows to come your way, despite you living in wisdom and despite you living with integrity, whatever challenges he allows to come your way, I can promise you he's gonna give you the grace and the strength you need to endure and persevere in those challenges and live them out to his glory. What you don't want, you don't want these sinful, destructive things coming into your life because you ignored the wisdom of God. There's a total major difference there, right? There's a major difference there. When God's providence brings difficulty into your life for your sanctification, his glory, that's fine. What we wanna avoid is ignoring the wisdom that God gives us when he says, hey, this is generally how life is gonna work out and how you want to live. We don't want the consequences that come, the ruin that comes from ignoring him in those areas. Verse nine, he who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. If you're living a false life in your finances, in your marriage, in any way, you will be found out. Our fourth principle, the one we'll end with here, the righteous value peace. The righteous value peace. Jesus said this, right? Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Look at verses 10 to 12. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. The babbling fool shows up here again, someone who's always running their mouth, always gossiping, always wanting to talk about others. And it says in verse 10, I'm sorry, verse, I lost it here. Ah, verse 10, it was second half of verse 10. It leads to their ruin. But here's the problem. It doesn't just lead to their ruin. They often bring a lot of other people down with them. Cause a lot of strife for others. 
It says in verse 10, he who winks with the eye causes trouble. This is somebody who doesn't speak truthfully or plainly. Like you never know if you can really trust them. They seem manipulative. You never, you never know exactly how to take them. But the flip side here, the path of righteousness, the path of wisdom that we're called to, we see it um, in verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. There's a sign just behind that pillar over there I read this morning and I can't remember exactly what it said, but it said, I think your words can hurt people. Yeah, that's true. On the flip side, your words can do an incredible amount of good in the lives of the people around you. I think we fail to appreciate two different things. One thing we often fail to appreciate is just all of us are dealing with challenges. You know that it's kind of a cliche thing. They say like everybody's fighting a battle you know nothing about. I think there's a lot of truth there. We're all dealing with a lot of challenges. And I think it's just good to remember as you walk around talking to people, that person you're talking to has probably got something in their life that hurts and something very challenging. I think that's one thing we fail to appreciate. The second thing we fail to appreciate is how much our words can encourage one another edify one another and build one another up. We can use our words powerfully, as Proverbs puts it here, a fountain of life. Again, there's a temporal and an eternal perspective here. Eternally, your words can be a fountain of life when you're sharing the gospel, when you're evangelizing, when you're helping people come to the knowledge of here's how you can be reconciled with God. Temporally, Our words can be a fountain of life just as we encourage each other and build one another up through all the hardships that come through life. The wise and the righteous value peace and they want to use their words as instruments of peace. Not the wicked, verse 11, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The word conceals here, it's like a garment. they might, who knows what they're saying on the outside. They might have great things to say on the outside, living again a life of hypocrisy, but really they're just covering up hatred, violence. And eventually that makes its way out. Eventually it makes its way out. 12 makes it clear the hatred of the wicked stirs up strife. We see it in the world all around us. We live in a world full of strife. It's the heart of sinful men stirring up strife. We all know people who almost seem to thrive under contention, right? Like if there's not problems, let's go create problems. Lives characterized by hostility and fighting with others. On the flip side, verse 12, love covers all transgressions. The wise, the godly, they prioritize peace and they seek, they, they, they desire, they, they look for opportunities to exercise forgiveness, right? And what could be more Christ-like than forgiving one another? As a Christian, we simply need to sit back and think about what we have been forgiven of. And... I think this is important in interpersonal relationships. One, when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, right? 
But aren't you grateful that on judgment day, God's not gonna say, well, yeah, you confessed most of your sin, but you totally forgot to confess this one. You didn't even know you committed it. Now you're in jail. No, think of how many, if you had to guess a percentage of the sins in our lives that we're actually aware of and confessing, I'm gonna say it's probably a pretty low percent for me. I'm gonna guess there's a lot of sinfulness in my life. I don't, I'm just blind to it. And I pray that God would show it to me and I see, but I'm sure I'm doing a lot of things wrong that I just, God's just gonna have to forgive me without me even seeking that forgiveness. But think about how that applies to our interpersonal lives as well. Sure, people are gonna wrong you. And if they come to you seeking forgiveness, you should forgive them. But the way of wisdom, the way of love, the way that love covers all transgressions means, look, there's some things you just let slide and it doesn't even need to get brought up. They don't even need to know they offended you. They don't, just, you know, we just love each other. And we just, we just live out the grace that God has extended to us. We forgive people even when they don't seek our forgiveness. This is just a sampling. Like I said, I didn't really know exactly how to tackle Proverbs, but chapter 10, but what I hope is that this shows you just the, the breadth of topics that God addresses throughout his word. You see Proverbs isn't, the wisdom we get here is not isolated. It's throughout scripture. And it's such a treasure for us as we seek to glorify God and live for him in our day-to-day lives. But three things I really wanted us to kind of just meditate on as we walk away. Number one, Ben said this, Dr. Morris said this, and I'm just gonna repeat it. We rely on the spirit working through the word. We rely on the spirit working through the word. So like, you know, Marcus Aurelius wrote his meditations and the word should be capitalized there because we're talking about the Bible. But Mike, he wrote meditations, you know, it's just some general wisdom. There's lots of general wisdom, self-help books out there. You can go learn a few things from them, but that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about God's word and we rely on the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. We always go to it in prayer and we rely on the Holy Spirit to help us apply it and to make it fruitful in our lives. First Corinthians two, Paul talks about how um, spiritual things can only be appraised through the Holy Spirit. For our growth and our application, we, we, we approach the Proverbs and all of the scripture in full reliance on the Spirit. The second principle from Proverbs 4, 7, with all you're acquiring, get understanding. With all you're acquiring, look, we're busy acquiring a lot in life, right? Like we all have relationships we're working on. We all have careers we're working on, families we're working on, fine. And we, we all got a lot of things we're working on in life, right? Don't lose sight of the most important thing. As you strive for fitness, for health, whatever you're striving for, I would want you to see you're striving for wisdom and striving for godliness to far exceed all those other ambitions. With all you're acquiring, get understanding. How does your desire to know the word of God and to know him more deeply, how does that desire and that striving compare 
up against everything else you're striving to acquire in life. It should always have preeminence. And thirdly here, look, as you read through Proverbs, just like all of scripture, it can be overwhelming as you see the holiness of God. And as you see what his perfect standard of righteousness is, and then you start to think through all the mistakes you've made through life, and just all the times you've lacked wisdom, and how oftentimes the consequences of that continue in your life today, look, God's mercy is sufficient for our shortcomings, okay? Like, when you recognize your shortcomings, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. I love that song. It is so true. God's mercy is sufficient. But I hope you love the Proverbs. They are just, again, just such a gift for us. We don't have to stumble over things in life blindly, wondering what's making us fall. God in his grace and in his love has given us his word so when it comes to the day-to-day details of life, we can live them in a way that's honoring to him, most importantly, but then also a safeguard to us. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness that you condescend to, to show us your truth. And I just pray that we would never take that for granted, but that we would always recognize it as the gift that it is and that striving to know you more, to know how you want us to live more would just be the top priority of our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding as we do that, um, that you would generate fruit of obedience in our lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.